We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? The Nets have a long-term head coach, it seems, Nick. Yes, we got some news on a Jacques Vaughn extension today. We're going to jump with that in plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. But, Jack, let's start with that contract extension. Till 26-27, Nick. Jacques Vaughn obviously having some some decent success with the Nets as of you know, this season since he took over from Steve Nash. How do you feel about this extension? Yeah, I... I'm a little bit surprised, I think, by the timing. You know, I think I probably would have preferred to see Vaughn finish out the season and then give him that extension because from my understanding, when he took on the role of the full-time head coach and no longer interim, he already was given next season. So, you know, let him coach these next 24 games, see where it is. Now they have Vaughn under contract, like you mentioned, to 2026, 2027, and it's unlikely they would probably fire him given they just fired Steve Nash, who they're probably still paying. And as you've mentioned many times, is one of the highest paid head coaches in the NBA. So now you're kind of locking up money with that head coach position and kind of locking Vaughn into place. You know, it doesn't seem like Cy would want to fire him and, you know, hire another head coach in the next year. So Jacques Vaughn seems like it's going to be the guy for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think it also ties short marks to the franchise as well. Yep. The, that sort of Troyo is going to be with the Nets for at least the next couple of years, as as we sort of touched on just then. But look, I think Jacques Vaughn deserves it. You know, he's earned some semblance of an extension that far. I don't know. I think it it would have been more prudent to to wait out the season and wait out even next season. But I think he's proven that he can coach a good team, and it's going to be now. How is he going to develop the guys? Because the priorities are now different. And I think the key for me is I hope that Joe Sy provides adequate assistance and development team behind the scenes in this offseason. Because I remember when Jacques Vaughn took over, both of us were just chatting, well, is anyone going to replace his role as the head assistant? Yeah. Like, we still don't know. If, like It seems like that would probably be Igor Kokoshkov. But like that's one less coach in the coaching ranks. And that's one less voice, one less knowledgeable basketball mind. So... I hope in the offseason, like, you know, obviously the Nets lost Kyle Culver as well in a development role, Steve Clifford in a semi-development role. So I think ultimately that's what I want the most. I want there to be a good team around uh, around Jacques Vaughn. I was about to say Steve Nash. But that's because that's what Steve Nash did have initially. He had Mike D'Antoni. He had Jacques Vaughn. He had Ime Udoka. All, you know, quality head coach types. 
and have proven to have success. So I hope Jacques Vaughn is given that opportunity to have a good team around him too. Yeah, and bring on in his own guys. Like you mentioned, they never filled in that role. Igor is a guy that was really tied to Steve Nash, and that was a big reason why he joined the Brooklyn Nets staff. So I would almost anticipate him leaving this offseason as well. So there could be multiple spots to fill. And as you mentioned with Vaughn, I think he does have more job security now. So it's interested to see if that impacts his coaching and impacts who he's playing, you know, We've kind of mentioned before behind the scenes is maybe Patty Mills is getting run because Sean Marks is having a heavy influence and, you know, Vaughn wants to keep his job. Maybe Vaughn is going to do what he wants to do because he has that contract and is in a pretty safe seat right now. And I'm really intrigued to see how he manages Cam Thomas moving forward, how he can unlock Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton, and what identity this team leans into, you know, the second half or the final stretch of the season. Yeah, he's already been pretty forthright in the the things that he said about Cam, and I think Ben Simmons even more so. So his leadership, his charisma are, are qualities that he does have. I'm intrigued to see how he continues to develop with the X's and O's in the rotation. That's something that I think all of us Nets fans are always watching towards because the Nets' depth right now is yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly there. It's a tough job right now with the roster that they do have. Yeah, and he did allude to, you know, when Seth Curry did come back, that this is the likely rotation we see going forward. I think that there there should be a, a little bit of mixing and matching and I think a little bit more flexibility with that, but it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, Cam Thomas, again, like I mentioned, it's going to be a focal point of discussion for the remainder of the season. How good is he for the next 24 games? What is his role like? And is he getting minutes over Seth Curry, you know, who... Now Cam is a, a probably a more impactful basketball player than Seth Curry is on this current roster. You know, Seth is a complimentary role as a spot-up shooter is great next to stars, but Cam is a guy that can create. And how much does he lean into that? How much does Vaughn let, unlock him and kind of, you know, give him a long leash to do whatever he needs to do out there and kind of play through the mistakes? Because Cam obviously is one of the brightest pieces on this roster. No doubt. He's one of the brightest. You know, you got him, you got Clax, you got, you know, Mikhail obviously doing his thing. In in saying that, Nick, we spoke about, you know, priorities and, and looking forward. For the rest of this season, who do you what do you think of the, the key ten polls? I put it out on Twitter a couple of days ago. I want to hear your thoughts. In terms of what do you mean, Jack? Like what are the keys that we're looking for just throughout the rest of the season? Yeah, like I was sort of saying, you know, give Cam Thomas a, a bit of a yeah. long leash, you know, unleash Clax, you know, give Mikhail Bridges, you know, some ball handling duties like we've seen already. You know, how, how would you put the priorities of things? What do you, obviously the Nets aren't in championship contention, you know, is it winning over everything still, you know, the schedule for the rest of the year, we can have a discussion about that as well. But what do you think should be the priorities for the rest of 22-23 heading into hopefully a postseason run? But if not, there might be other priorities. Yeah, I think you still want to put an effort forward in making the postseason, even if it's just a plan. I think you want to play good basketball and quote unquote set the culture. Um, in the same time, you want to make sure you're doing it through your good young players. You know, that's entrusting Mikel Bridges to unlock more of his game and playing him heavier minutes given where he's at. And also, as we talked about in the previous podcast, finding out who he is and how good can he really be. You know, is this a guy that can be the second best player on a championship team? Is he more of a third best player? Is that even a little shaky? You know, what is Cam Thomas? Is he going to be a future all-star? You know, how good can Nick Claxton be without playing next to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? I think there's a lot of questions, and that's what I would really use the next 24 games to do is figure out who these guys are. And that means putting them in different situations, allowing them to play through mistakes, and seeing how much better they can be 
over the next 20 games. And then when you get to the playoffs, hopefully, I think you'd benefit substantially more from a playoff series than getting knocked out in the play-in. So that would be my goal is to get into a playoff series, even if it's a sweep. Those four games would be a huge experience mark for a lot of these guys. Yeah, you look back to those early years of the the young Jason Tatum and, and, and Jalen Brand sort of yeah. years in, in Boston and those guys and the experience that they got from just being in postseason basketball where the games matter and the, the the game slows down a little bit more and just getting those reps. And yeah, the Nets have experienced that, you know, D'Lo and Joe Harris and all these sort of guys back in those days and you know the, against the Philadelphia 76ers. But yeah, I think that the priorities need to be around, you know, player development. And within yeah. that, obviously... You don't give like you know Cam Thomas forty two minutes or whatever. You balance that with with you know a, a certain responsibility that you have to the team overall and the rest of the rotation. But because the Nets are still you know ten games above five hundred, so they still should be aiming to avoid that playing tournament. So I think it's about the players overall, Nick, and continuing to mature them, continuing to give them the responsibility, continuing to develop their skills and giving them the opportunity to showcase their skills at the same time. So I think, you know, Cam Thomas, Mikael Bridges, Nick Claxton, Cam Johnson as well, those four guys yeah. are probably the, the priorities for me and their development for the rest of the season. Yeah, and I think also looking at guys that aren't in your long-term plans, you know, maybe don't put them in the rotation, don't rely on them much, you know, be it a Seth Curry, potentially maybe even like a Royce O'Neal. They're not getting big minutes and just, you know, lean into some of the other guys that you either want to see what you have in or, you know, believe that they'll be a big part of this team. Or also maybe you're trying to up their value. Maybe a Dorian Finney-Smith is a guy that you're going to play a little bit more because you're going to look to trade him as soon as that offseason hits. So there's a lot of different variables, but I think it's also, like you mentioned, finding the balance of developing these young guys, but also still making sure you're a good competitive team that can get into the playoffs. In terms of the rest of the season, there's 24 games left, and I put out a bit of a tweet about you know just looking at the schedule, analyzing it a little bit. I'd be more than happy with a, a sort of 500 record. It's a, not the easiest record to, to sort of finish the season. What do you think the Nets' record will be? You know, there's a couple of games against the Bucks. There's some important games against teams like the Heat and the Knicks, but then there's also some games against Orlando, Detroit, and stuff. So there's a, a weird balance. There's different sort of home stands and away stands. What stands out to you for the last 24 games in terms of the schedule? Yeah, I want to say the Nets have the seventh toughest schedule for the remaining uh, 24 games. And I think it's going to be a good test because they play a lot of good teams, a lot of playoff teams, a lot of play-in teams, as you mentioned. There's a couple bad teams in there as well. But, um, you know, 12 and 12 would probably be the most realistic scenario. You know, I could even see that being maybe a little bit less. And I also could see it being a little bit more if they catch a couple breaks at the end of the year where some of these teams have seeds locked up or they're just preferring rest and the Nets can grab a couple wins. I think this Nets team, given the style of basketball that we think they're going to play, you know, really good defense with a ton of three-point shooting, which is going to lead to a lot of variance. So they can have nights where they beat a team they're not supposed to because, they shot 43s and hit 45% of them, you're just going to win a lot of games doing that. But they're not going to shoot 45% from three every single night. There's going to be other games where maybe they can grind out a win just because of how good they're defensively. And then also there's going to be games like we saw over the course of the last few before the All-Star break where the offense isn't good enough to close, and that's going to lead to a couple losses that you probably shouldn't have had because you were better for you know the first 42 minutes of the game. 
Yeah, I think inconsistency is just going to be there. And you're yeah. right, Nick. The Nets' strength of schedule—they have like a five, a bit of a 500 strength of schedule in their last 24 games. They versus Boston, Milwaukee twice, Denver twice, uh, Philadelphia once, Cleveland twice, and then Sacramento. But they do verse both the Rockets and the Magic twice to end the season as well. So hopefully those are, are, are bankable wins. But the Magic, I don't think are bankable are a bankable win these days. Houston might be. So I think it. The, it's about what you alluded to earlier in terms of the identity of this team and still figuring it out. But there's still a heap of talent that should be able to win. And like the Nets' defensive rating, we've seen the stats around that. Like the Nets can win a lot of games that they can continue to just be continue to just be solid defensively and play quality defensive lineups. You can win games in the regular season by that. Postseason is another question. Yeah, and I think something else to note is the teams that are right behind them. The Knicks have the eighth toughest schedule. The Heat have the ninth toughest schedule. And the Hawks have the third toughest schedule. So these other teams have a lot of competition as well. The Nets already have the tiebreaker with Miami. You know, this one against New York coming up. If they win that game, they'd also have the tiebreaker in that scenario as well. So it's an important stretch. And also it's going to be a lot of like, you know, schedule watching, score watching for other teams to see where the Nets end up. Because again, like I said, I think being in the playoffs is substantially more impactful than ending up in the playing game. Not to say that the Nets couldn't win a play play in series against the Wizards or the Raptors or the Bulls or the Hawks, but you you would love to have that comfort, especially for such a young team. No doubt. Do you think that they uh, avoid it, Nick? You know, you sort of went, if they finish ten games of five five hundred, they are clearly avoiding that play in. What's your what's your low mark and high mark? Like my low mark is like nine and fifteen at the worst, hopefully, and then the high mark would be you know thirteen and eleven. I think above five hundred would be insane. But, you know, crazy things have happened. What's your high and low mark? Yeah, I think like what we say, 24 games. So 14 and 10 would probably be the high mark. And then, you know, maybe even as bad as like 8 and 16 could be the low mark just because there's so much variance. And again, they're playing a lot of really good teams. They got the Celtics again, the Bucks twice, the Nuggets twice, the Sixers again, the Cavs twice, the Kings that's they're all hard games. And I mean, you could argue the Nets might lose all of those games. You know, I think they have a good chance of probably beating Cleveland and maybe, uh, you know, Philadelphia, but Milwaukee and Boston are going to be trying to go full throttle in this final stretch. Yeah. Big time. But in saying that we'll get to the defense a little bit. This is by our locked on Nets, Doug Norrie in 49 minutes, Mikhail Bridges, Nick Claxton, Cam Johnson and Dorian Finney Smith have a 93.4 defensive rating. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. 
The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Nick, do you think that the Nets have a chance in these final 24 games to be the best defense in the NBA? Yeah, I think this lineup or this, you know, this group of guys definitely can. I think some of their bench lineups is when they get in more trouble because they're playing some guys that are just bad defenders. You know, Joe Harris, not a good defender. Seth Curry, not a good defender. You know, Royce O'Neal, solid. Ben Simmons is one of the highest variance defenders in the league, can be good to being terrible. So there's definitely some major question marks. Cam Thomas is, you know, all over the place defensively as well. So I think the starting lineup unit might be the best defensive lineup in the NBA. But when you get to the bench, that's where you get into a little bit more variance. And I think that'll probably lead to the Nets being more of a top three, top five defense for the remainder of the season. Yeah, I'd, I'd give them every sort of opportunity in over 24 sort of games. It's going to be about, you know, how the Nets going to stop the likes of Giannis, the likes yeah. of these sort of superstars. And, and can they score enough themselves to generate quality offense? And Sometimes the offense leads to bad defense because, like, if you're breaking a ton of threes, now you're just getting long rebounds in the transition, and they're just getting more shot attempts, and then it just becomes harder to defend, more field goal attempts, and there's a lot of good players in the NBA. Yeah, I think we can say, I mean, look, I think the next transition defense, I've got a heap of guys that will are going to be very positive in that area, those four names uh, in particular. But if the Nets are able to get half-court sets, whether it's yep. you know defensive rebounds and just like be able to just have half-court defense, half-court, probably more transition offense. We can chat about the offense if, if we want to. But in the half-court, we've already seen really special moments from the likes of Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton has given to us all season. Dorian Finney-Smith against those bigger wings. Mikael Bridges against everyone. Cam Johnson against, you know, he's really improving there too. And, and Spencer has a bit of height about him as well, even if he can get a little bit inconsistent at times. So I think the defense, do you trust the defense or the offense more to win games for the rest of the unit? So you're talking about that three-point shooting variance or that defensive consistency. What are you banking on more? Yeah, definitely the defense. I think it's more controllable as well. There's less variance and also you just have – two elite defensive talents in Nick Claxton and Mikael Bridges, and then some other really good guys. Like DFS is a really good defender. When he's your third best defender, that's awesome. And then Cam Johnson's your fourth best defender. And as you mentioned, you know, Spencer has good and bad moments. I think one thing for him is he gets caught up on screens or gets ball watching a little bit too much. But if he's engaged and focused on being a good defender, which hopefully he will be when he realizes the identity of this team, then I think I have a lot more faith in the defense. Yeah, and when you have those guys, and if Jacques Vaughn can create rotations where Cam and Seth aren't out there together, or Cam and Patty, where there were times where that was the case, and you have I mean, Kale Bridges, Nick Claxton, Ben Simmons, who knows? We can have that discussion maybe towards the end of the pod. But I think that there is enough depth, defensive depth, to cover a lot of the weaknesses that our guys do have. 
Yep, and I think that's another thing for Jacques Vaughn to stagger those minutes. And at times we saw him not do that over the course of the last week of you know pre All Star break and had some really bad defensive lineups where there's no reason to have that. There should be you know either one of Nick Claxton or Mikael Bridges on the floor, and then you know two other at least solid defenders if you're going to put out a bad defender or a mediocre defender. In terms of this team individually right now and the talent that they do have, you put this out the other day. And I wanted to bring it to, to the pod to have a discussion, you and I. Do you think the Nets have a future all-star in their roster? We've spoken about probably Mikael Bridges a little bit, so maybe we can focus on some other guys. Do you think that there is all-star talent on this roster right now? Yeah, I think there's all-star potential. You know, I think you look at the three guys you mentioned, Mikael Bridges, Cam Thomas, and Nick Claxton. Will all of those guys hit? I'm not sure. Do I feel like one of them hitting as an all-star is a guarantee? Yes. I think there's a good chance two out of the three become all-stars. And then there is a, a perfect world where all three of them become all-stars. But it's it's less likely that all three of them become all-stars on the same team. It'd be more likely someone else moves on later in their career, whatever it is. I think Mikel Bridges is probably the closest. Uh, Nick Claxton obviously had a really nice campaign this year where he was in the voting and you know had a, a, a at least a shot. You know, maybe it was a shot in the dark, but it was still a shot. And Cam, the way he scored over the course of that final stretch pre-All-Star break where he had the three straight games over 40 points joining a list of Hall of Famers, that just usually means something good is going to happen. Again, I don't think that all three of them will become All-Stars on the Nets, but I think two of them definitely could. Yeah, if you look at guys that were on the fringes of the All-Star conversation over the last couple of years and you think of, okay, could like Nick Claxton be a DeMontis Sabonis, Jared Allen sort of type? Yeah, pretty easily. Could I think Clax could easily become that. Get like the spot that Jared Allen got. Like Claxton really could do that. Like almost this season. I, I think Clax is better than, than Jared yeah. Allen right now. I think his defensive dominance. Like I think maybe Jared Allen might be a little bit better of a rebounder. I think Clax's offensive craft is improving, and I think that his ceiling is a, a little bit higher. But in terms of Mikael Bridges, I I can't remember where I heard it, but. A person made a comparison point of Chris Middleton, and I'm like, that's not a bad sort of comparison yeah. point. Where Mikael Bridges has some greater skills in in certain parts of his game, but Chris Middleton's probably his tough shot making and just mid range scoring and just shooting in general, just from three levels, is probably a little bit better. But Mikael Bridges may be a bit of a, a bit of a bit of playmaker. So. Chris Middleton, top 25 sort of all star guy, just to sort of put that conversation there. And what Cam Thomas can be, Jordan Poole, Tyler Hero. These guys on that sort of fringe of the conversation when it comes to guards, because I think the guard discussion right now is so goddamn heavy when you got Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and John Moran, Steph Curry. So it's sure probably Trey Young didn't even make the All Star game this year, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people don't like Trey Young anymore. So maybe like, and, and look, Nets fans might want him. We can have that discussion maybe in a mailbag episode. But I think it'd be probably hardest for Cam because of, but yep. how good he, can he be in terms of the elite skills at his position? I think it's just about his talent and, and how can it be unlocked for consistent periods. And um, I'm, I'm really high on it, but at the same time, like I'm probably highest on Mikhail just because of the, the skill set that he does have. And the, and the, I think two-way two way ability is being underrated a little bit. Like I think Giannis has done it consistently. Kawhi's done it relatively consistently. Paul George, these sort of guys. I, I think Mikhail can be in the fringe of that conversation like a sort of Chris Middleton sort of type. I think also another thing that's pretty important is winning. You know, the more games you win, the better record you have, the more likely you are to have an all-star. You know, if you're a top five team, you're locked to get one. You know, if you're a top two, 
good chance you could end up with two all-stars. So that obviously could dictate a lot of things. And it's really unknown what the Nets are going to be like moving forward in terms of how good of team and what their goals are. Nick, in terms of Nick Claxton, we heard Jacques Vaughn mention that he's played so many minutes already in comparison to previous seasons. Do you think that there needs to be a semblance of management when it comes to Nick Claxton for the rest of the season? Or can we unleash Clax City? Where do you stand? Yeah, I think uh, he got the All-Star break. He got a little bit rest before the All-Star game as well. Um, you know, they limit his minutes that final stretch. You know, maybe there's a back-to-back. He looks a little fatigued, give him the night off. But also, that's a, a Sean Marks issue because there's not a true backup center on this roster. Daron Sharp is not really a quality center in the NBA. So unless they find somebody else to fill in that role, it's going to be hard to rest Clack. So I think unless Marks makes a move, Claxton's going to have to play a majority of the games and play a large chunk of minutes, and maybe that's going to impact his play a little bit. But the Nets almost don't... Vaughn almost has no choice at this point. Yeah, and I think as well with Ben Simmons being what he is right now, like it, it almost makes it even worse because there was a point in the season where Ben was playing some somewhat credible you know, minutes at the five, and now he's like, I don't want to be the five. I don't know what my role is. We're getting day one sharp minutes. Look, I think that there might have to be some semblance of experimentation. DFS, is he going to play some small ball five for you? You to what's a Nabe? Yeah, we've had those little bit discussions here and there. I think you need to get a little bit creative and crafty with it. And look, that's on Jacques Vaughn. You know, we've given him some of the tools. Hopefully, he listens to the buzz. You know, fellow Jacques member out there. So I think that that's a way to sort of maybe ease the burden somewhat on Clax. And I think as well, you know, he can continue to be a defensive force because that burden has certainly lessened with the influx of so many great defensive talents. Yeah, I think also it's like you said, Jack, maybe in some of these games where you're not going against a physically imposing center, you know, give Clax a little bit easier night and roll with some Ben Simmons at the five, some DFS at the five, and maybe get away, try to get away with some sharp minutes against some of these lesser teams. So it's going to be, again, another balancing act. Like Jock Vaughn does not have an easy job. I mean, the, the easy part about the job is there's no real expectations or pressures to win. But in terms of like the day-to-day and his own personal pressures, I'm sure he's trying to figure it all out. Yeah, and one of those things he has to figure out, Nick, is is Ben Simmons. And I think it might be a good way to end the pod with the, the BS report brought to you by unnamed sponsor. <laughs> I, don't, I, I say this in jest because some of the stuff that a lot of people are saying about Ben Simmons can be somewhat cruel or whatever, but at the same time, some of it is self-inflicted as well. Ben Simmons, this is via Netsman up on Twitter, averages in his last 27 games, 5.6 points, 6.1 rebounds, 6.2 assists, just over 51% from the field, 29.2% from the free throw line. He's averaging more fouls per game than field goals per game over that span as well. And the Nets are talking about gorging and engaging the trade market around him, according to Jake Fisher, even though that contract, what, two years, 80 million, 70-something million dollars, doesn't look great at all. Where, like, in terms of Ben Simmons' short-term, long-term, Nick, like, it's sort of hard to keep discussing the same sort of thing. And it's just going to be up to partly Ben and someone on the Nets to bring him out of this. Yeah, we had uh, someone tweeting some crazy thoughts on Ben Simmons today. Uh, Nets Twitter wasn't too happy about that, and we're not going to jump into that. But I think, like you said, Jack, it's it's almost repetitive to this point because nothing has really changed. You know, if anything, maybe he's 
gotten worse as the season's progressed. I think there is a real scenario where maybe the Nets just send him home and say, you know, get your body right, get yourself right for next season, and then we see what we can do with you and see if you fit on this team. Um, like you said, some of the stuff is really self-inflicted given the comments that he has and even just some of the latest reports where I, there was something that came out today about just like the trash talk that Ben does during a game. And it's just like, man, just focus on being like a, a decent basketball player, being a solid basketball player, and then worry about all that other stuff. I think if the Nets, you know, look to trade him this offseason, it's going to require picks, which is probably the wrong move. I think the best case scenario of trading him would probably be, as I mean, the earliest case would be, you know, the deadline next year, because then you're looking at 1.5 years remaining on his contract. Yeah, and who knows what he could be at that time. I think that's the thing. We talk about floor and ceiling a lot about our players and our team. The the difference between floor and ceiling of Ben Simmons this season is just astronomical. And I think it's almost, we like to sort of bring a semblance of humor to it, not beca- not to be malicious, at least from my standpoint, and I'm pretty sure from your standpoint as well. It's because it is, I think, to bring humor to a situation which is kind of shitty and kind of sad, can sort of make light of it and sort of bring a sense of, you know, just lessen the burden on it overall. I, I really want Ben Simmons to be a good basketball player, whether it's a Brooklyn Net or beyond because of his ties to to, to, to my country and, and beyond just because I want good for, for everyone on, on earth. So I think that I, I can't remember. I'm, I might have thought this myself. I might have stolen from somewhere, but it sort of reminds me, you know, we heard Michael Porter Jr. talk about like the nerve stuff with the back. And I also do think of, you know, Markel Fultz, his former teammate in Philadelphia and the, the, the journey that it has been for him to, to get back to being a quality NBA player. And he's doing some great stuff in Orlando uh, for those that haven't been seeing what he's been doing. So look, there's a journey and a road back to, to quality production for Ben Simmons. Know, how much is he willing to put in the work to get there? How much are the Nets going to support him? How much is his body going to allow him? I have none of those answers. Yeah, how much does he want it? You know, I think that's been a question mark with Ben since college. I was, you know, looking at some of his old, like, scouting reports. It's like his lack of competitiveness in big games. You know, that was something that's been brought up before. So, you know, maybe just a new scenario, a new home is the best case for Ben. You mentioned Markel Foltz going to Orlando, not really having any pressure. Maybe for Ben Simmons, that's going to San Antonio or going to one of these spots and just finding a little bit of comfort and less pressure. But we'll see what happens with that. Jack, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, I'm just looking forward to the rest of this season, Nick. I, I, I'm intrigued to see how the whole team gels together, the chemistry builds, and then the individual moments from some really talented guys in our roster. I'm going to enjoy the ride. The Nets ride is always fun. Yeah, I think uh, like we kind of touched on the last show, there's a level of interest and excitement seeing what these guys can do and who they can be moving forward. But we'll jump to that and plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms and big thanks to everybody for listening.